0: I am taking you
1: for the ride of your life. I'm going to you this car is All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I am the monster that breathing men would kill.
0: It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. I go out of my way for you. I do everything to try and make you happy. I feed you, I clean you, I dress you, and what thanks do I get? I am so sorry. Are oh, you fucked? Are
1: oh, you fucked? I am the writing on the wall. The whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now, I must shed innocent blood. Dinner is served. Save yourself from hell. Listening to the 30 something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making.
2: (laughs) That's right. It's still October, and we're still talking about scary movies. So, how are you doing, Pat? I'm hanging in there, John. Good, that's good.
3: I'm hanging there. I'm I'm fine.
2: Yeah, I'm fine. Hey, we've been doing this doing for like okay. what six years now. You better be fine by now.
3: I'm better. Be, I'm getting to. I'm getting through it, man. Yeah. I'm getting through it. Like most, you know what? Here's the thing. Most of the scary movies we've seen, like, yeah. haven't been that bad. No, not really. You know what I'm saying?
2: Well, and I feel like so, especially the more of them you watch, like they're really yeah. not that bad at all. Right, right. I build up the
3: callus. I build up the callus.
2: Well, exactly. And I think I've, I think I've talked on here before. I, I might've talked when we did our, one of our other episodes, um, that I, there was a stretch of time where I just could not watch horror movies. Like I'm, i mm-hmm. I have an overactive imagination and mm-hmm. then if I watch something scary, I will have terrible dreams for right. weeks at a time.
3: And right. so there was a stretch, sure.
2: of, stretch of time, like especially around the time that the kids were born that I just had to stop watching scary movies altogether. I'm just like, nope. I'm done mm-hmm. no more and so probably from about i'd say maybe from about 2002 2003 until maybe about three years ago i really didn't watch any new horror movies you know, okay if it was an older one that i'd seen before i'd re-watch an older one like some of the 80s stuff maybe some of the 90s stuff but i would not watch new horror movies and then about three years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm I should go back and give them a try because there's all kinds of good movies that I'm sure I've missed. Um, my sister kept telling me about a bunch of them, and then I would hear from other people. They're like, oh, this is such a good one. I'm like, all right, well, <sighs> okay. Let's let's get back into this. So I did. I like I made a list and you know, people online that I respected the opinions of. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start making a list of, you know, what these people th- say is good, and I'll take right. some my sister told me about or other people I talked to. And, and I started sure. watching, started going back and kind of, you know, rewatching to get myself caught up on some stuff. And um, and actually, as I'm watching them, I'm like, you know what? Not as scary as I remember. Like, I, right. used, to, I used to be terrified to watch scary movies, but I, lo- I enjoyed it. And then for a stretch mm-hmm. of time, I did not enjoy it and now i was like you know what i'm i'm fine i'm totally yeah. fine here now how how are you so yeah, we're all fine here now yeah we're all seriously we're, we're all fine here now but yeah no so this i think yeah i think your point is well made you just you build up the callus and then you're fine yeah which it's all good. which, which all is good. also funny and i i again i might have mentioned this on one of our past episodes but um, I got some people from work asking me, like, hey, you you like movies. What scary movies should we watch? But I don't like anything gory. And uh, hmm. did, I, did I tell you guys about this? I started recommending some movies. So I was like, oh, no, this one's really good. And it's more of like a psychological deal. It's not really very gory at all. Oh, cool. And then they were like, oh, cool. All right, I'm, I might watch that one. And then before they watched it, they went on to, I'm just, I'm recommending this off the top of my head. They go on to IMDb, they look it up, and it says, like, Extreme gore and violence. And I was, and they read like what? a description of what happens. And they come back to me mm-hmm. and they're like, um, here's what IMDb says that happens in this movie. And I look at it and I go, oh, yeah, that did happen in that movie.
0: Oh, yeah. That's oh, that's right. Yeah.
2: That she did get stabbed with a corkscrew. Oh. All right. Okay. Yeah. So don't trust my recommendations because apparently I'm desensitized. Yeah. So. <laughs> the the callus the callus is good the, the, the callus may actually be a little bit too rough at this point so that's right the recommendations do not go well enterprise right right to, <laughs> to, to quote one of our favorite shows yeah
3: to quote one of our
2: favorite shows yeah all right well we are mm-hmm. if you haven't figured it out by now we are the thirty something movie podcast uh, we spoil we are. freely around here everything is spoiled it's like it's like when you go on vacation and you left a bunch of produce in your refrigerator. Um mm-hmm. it's it's all spoiled. And are, we spoil freely. Are we
3: are, are we the shriveled vegetables in the fridge? We are the Mm. I maybe. Which direction are we going to go with that comment, John? I'm not sure.
2: I'm going the direction that includes moving on. Moving on. All right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um but we do spoil freely around here, so yes, we we are we are the shriveled vegetables in your refrigerator. Uh, we are also part of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network. Uh, they are not shriveled vegetables. Instead, no. um, they have—they are an international convention agent, and they have got a ton. I don't know if it's a metric ton. Uh, the guy who runs it is from Scotland, so it may be a metric ton. It,
1: it could, be, um, could be.
2: Could be. Could um, be. But uh, they have a ton of top-class movie and TV stars that you can book if you've got a Comic-Con or event. And I know a lot of places are, are picking up with the Comic-Cons and the events again. I uh, was very happy to hear that New York Comic-Cons seemed to be going well, um, that they were very strict about the mask policies and the vaccinations and all that other stuff. So sounds like uh, people felt, at least for the most part, what I heard was that uh, vendors and artists that were there and people that attended felt uh, you know, relatively safe going to an event like that with the way it was handled so um, if you are somebody who is helping organize or manage one of these big events or if you need a movie or TV star for your in person or virtual event uh, go to www.scenestealersglobal.com and uh, check out their list um, they have a lot of 80s and 90s stars in there a lot of Cobra Kai people um, but uh, yeah all, all, kinds of, all kinds of good stuff in there so go check them out um, Cobra then,
3: Kai season four December
2: 31st yes it is mm-hmm. yes it is I, I have I've just ended up we're, we're actually going to uh, we're going to go to Disney um, you know taking the family to oh. Disney for the first time uh, around Christmas time this was right. this was a trip that we postponed because it was supposed to be last summer um, right and so we are fingers crossed by then everyone is completely vaxxed and invincible um, by the time there we, we go. go so we've, we've got one little person left that's You know, just barely not old enough to have already been vaccinated. So um, There it is. But, uh, yeah, we'll get back just in time for me to maybe, like, rest for a couple of days and then watch Cobra Kai. Oh, love it. But I'm looking forward to that. Love it. Oh, yes. So after you head over to Scene Stealers and then uh, check out their website and everything, you can go check out. Our website, just hop over, it's it's just a few websites over, um, it's mm-hmm. at 30, and the word podcast, 30podcast.com, where you can check out what other people have rated the show and, and have left their reviews. You can leave us a rating, leave us a message there, leave a voicemail. We love voicemails, because we get to play them on the show, and then uh, respond back to you as if it is a time-delayed uh, phone conversation. Yeah, man. Um, and then you can, It's like when people would play chess over the computer. Oh, yes. Literally, like you would like email somebody the moves and then they would make a yep. move and then they would send the message back to you. And then like a day later, you would make the move. And it's kind of like that. I love doing that stuff. It's yeah. fun. It's, it's retro. It's retro. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you can also become a co-executive producer with us via Patreon. And uh, Pat, why would you want to do that? I mean, why, do you, why, would, <laughs> why would anybody want to become a co-executive producer of our show?
3: All the the awesome episodes that then will become free. Well, not free because, like, yeah. you're paying for it. But then all the awesome episodes that will become accessible. Unleash. We've got Unleash. We yeah. will unleash upon you bonus episodes. Yeah.
2: And there's a lot of great people that have been helping us out there. Um, have oh, man, yeah. Just our, our Patreon patrons there have just been amazing. We had Rob Perry that was on with us. Um, I think the episodes with him are coming out here pretty soon. Uh, actually, yes. no. Some of, some of those have already come out uh, as of the recording of this one. So, uh, so much fun to have him on. He is kind of our uh, our horror movie guru. Um, yeah, always fun to talk with, and and uh, we just have a lot of great patrons on there. Um, and uh, so we just appreciate it. You know, we appreciate yeah. all the support. And if you want to get on there as well um, to get those to get access to those, it's any amount of support on there. Get you access to those uh, bonus episodes. And there's a lot of great, there's over a year of bonus episodes on there. We do one a month. Um, so you at this point, you'd have 13 episodes at least that are going to be up there for you, depending on when you're listening to this and uh it's just it's a good time and we have a good time and there are other levels of support where you can hop in and and contribute to the show or or interact with the show in different ways so feel free to check those out as well um it just it helps us keep the lights on helps us do some of the things that we need to do to keep the show going and uh we just appreciate the support it just it's humbling for us every single time that we have somebody join us on there and um yeah we just we we appreciate it so much
3: yeah thank you everybody our patrons are just so generous and so wonderful. And the ones that we get to interact with are just great, great people. It's been great. I mean, yeah, that we had such a wonderful discussion with Rob. Uh, Well, and like I said, depending on when these come out, obviously, it's a little bit of a time delay, but it was a a week or so ago. uh, Great discussion with him and and just great guy. So, yeah. Thanks to all our patrons. Yeah. Or Patreons or whatever we call them.
2: Uh, We'll we'll go co-executive producers.
3: The, oh, co-executive producer. Okay, producers, that yeah. sounds
2: good. Yeah, um, and uh, you know what? Actually, we we haven't we haven't mentioned the names of some of the other co-executive producers in a while. So uh, we Fired have uh, we have Jonathan Tweedy is on there with us. We've got Chris Walkton is on there with us. Uh, our buddy Jason Colvin from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast is on there, and uh, and actually I believe our original Patreon patron Podrick, uh Padrick Donahue is on there as well, uh, all the way from yeah. Ireland. So we thank you all so much for your support. And again, um, you can, uh, you can just join us on there for any level that you want. Um, Whether it's moral support or if you want to hop in and join us for an episode or two, then uh, there's all those options there. So if you head over to 30 podcast.com, you can find a link that says uh, donate to the show. And that'll take you to the Patreon page where you can check out more information about that. So thank Thank you you all. Thank Thank you one and all so much. Um, All right, Pat, do you have anything else before we, uh, before we go to sleep? No, man. I think right. we're good. Okay. Time to go to sleep. I tried to. Uh, I tried to find the S- Symphony Fantastique. I was trying to figure <laughs> out if I found the right one for it today.
3: Oh man, like I've got like six versions here. Which one do you yeah. want, John?
2: I think I've got the wrong. I don't think that's the right one. That doesn't sound right. That's the second. Uh, well, that, that I'm second. just gonna say. I'm, I'm just gonna say that's the second movement.
3: Yeah, it is. If you. If you if you want the correct one where they quote the D S E rate, right, you need yeah. to go to the fifth movement and I believe it is at the I'm going off the top of my head, the three minute and twenty second mark.
2: All right, we're gonna test Pat's memory here.
3: Ah, uh, is it is it the three minute twenty All second right. mark? Let's let's find out. Fifth movement. You gotta find the fifth movement, the witch's Sabbath. Yep, that's it. That's it. Wait. Ten more seconds. Okay.
2: Check out the big brain on Pat.
3: Here we go. Get ready. Here we go. Here we go. You
0: yes. go. yes. Yes.
3: Let it play, let it play in its glory.
2: That's just kind of intimidating. If I mean that that should have been like a red yeah. flag right there. If your significant other always wants to play this music, um, when you're having your special time, I I
3: I I I was gonna say something, but that might just be too. uh, uh Yes, I agree. with I agree. Yeah, that might be a little bit. I that mean, might be a little bit intense.
2: I mean, I don't know. So I'm gonna go. Like I'm gonna you, go. F- you don't have like flight of the bumblebee and kill yourself, but I mean this seems kind of <laughs>
3: flight of the bumblebee. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I I'm just saying, like I, I don't know, man. Like I, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever whatever happened to the monster monster madness, Monster Ballads 80s rock album, you yeah. know, what I mean Monster Ballads, right? Yeah. I don't know. So Um, I don't know if we want to like jump the gun and get right into this, but there's a whole thing with symphony fantastique and the music person in me is just like, like, you know, dying to go off and I'm trying to like not go on a lecture thing, but symphony fantastique is a pretty cool piece of music um, that I think we should like. And if we want to do the introduction and actually, talk about the movie a little bit but at some point we do have to talk a little bit about symphony fantastique if that's okay with you john
2: oh absolutely let me why don't I go ahead and do the introduction for everything and yeah, then as soon, after we after we hit the trailer when we come back from that why don't you go ahead and jump into why don't you give us the fantastique details
3: yeah man let's let's fire it up because it is a cool piece of music
2: yeah no absolutely okay so we have got sleeping with the enemy It came out on the 8th of February. So almost a uh, Valentine's movie. What a great Valentine's (laughs) movie. (laughs) It it is a Valentine's movie, John. Uh Yeah. Yikes. Um, Rated R. uh, Actually, at one time was rated NC-17, but they got it cut down, so it was just rated R. Yeah, it's funny
3: because it was probably like one scene, you know, as opposed to the, the whole thing. I'd be curious to see what was cut to make it that R rating.
2: I have not seen the international version, but apparently if you watch the international version, it, is, it has the scenes that would have made it NC-17. Mm, so I okay. don't know what that was, but um, yeah. It uh, had a runtime of one hour and 39 minutes, directed by Joseph Rubin, who also did Dreamscape and The Stepfather. Uh, producer was Leonard Goldberg, who died in 2019, who did War Games and Charlie's Angels, the 2000 version writers on this one were nancy price who did the novel and ronald bass who did the screenplay nancy price this is the only writing credit that she had uh for that was turned into a movie and then bass did rain man and what dreams may come cinematography done by john Lindley, who did pleasantville and sneakers editor was george bowers who died in 2012 did editing for a league of their own and money train music was done by jerry goldsmith who died in 2004 he did several of the star trek movies uh, the Omen one and two, Alien, Total Recall, and a bunch of other movies. Uh budget for this one was 19 million, box office was 175 million, flick metrics gives it a 58%. Cinema score gives it an A minus. Starring Julia Roberts, who played Laura, after after the whole scene with him on the boat, you just want to scream like Laura!
0: Yeah, and okay. Man.
2: One of my three questions was gonna be something like: What is your favorite? Uh, person screaming another person's name in a movie and then I was like well the only ones I can think of are like Laura and Stella and Mm -hmm. I want to say Keanu Reeves oh there's the one I make the one my wife makes fun of of Keanu Reeves running through a vineyard yelling Victoria Um, Mm -hmm. Martha
3: of course Martha why would you say that name (laughs) (laughs) why would you say that name Pat well Um, I'm sorry if that's one of our if that's one of our honorary there's only one correct answer and that is
2: God! Oh there. See, that is a good one. I should have used that as one of the three questions. All right. Well, well hey, we got it in their honorary mention. So we have four live questions and, now. Live and, live and learn. Live and learn. Hey um, man. I'm sorry, hey Pat, at least I kept the towels straight, okay? You know, don't I'm just, Don't I'm just Don't jump all over me, man. Okay? i it's, it's like, yeah, we'll we'll get into it, John. We'll, we'll we'll discuss. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah, I know. Um, actually before, very, very quickly, before I get into, you know, all of the actors and and all their parts and everything else, um, I do want to say very, very quickly that, um, you know, we are a movie podcast. We talk about movies. We have fun talking about movies. We're going to joke around, you know, we're going to joke around a little bit, even with this movie, but I do want it very, very clear from the beginning is this is a very, very serious subject and the subject matter, not joking around about that at all. You know, so something like someone being in an abusive relationship, not funny at all. Um, And and if you if for some reason, if you're listening to this podcast and you are in a relationship like that, um, please, there are ways to get help. So please get help in any way that you can, if you are in that kind of a situation, but I don't, we don't want anybody to think that as we're kind of, you know, just inserting some jokes here and there, as we talk about this movie, we're, we're joking about the movie or maybe some certain parts of the movie, but the subject matter itself is not a joking matter. So I just wanted to throw that out there very quickly to make sure that we delineate between parts that we may be making fun of related to the film, as opposed mm-hmm. to what's happening in the film. So, yes. All right. The more you know. Okay, starring Julia Roberts, who played Laura Burney. She was in Pretty Woman and Aaron Brockovich. Patrick Bergen, who played Martin Burney. He was in Robin Hood and Patriot Games. Kevin Anderson was Ben Woodward. He was in the 2006 version of Charlotte's Web and another movie called Orphans. Elizabeth Lawrence, who died in 2000, played Chloe Williams. She was in The Crucible and Unbreakable. Kyle Secor, who played Fleischman, was in City Slickers and Drop Zone. Claudette Nevins, who died in 2020, played Dr. Risner. She was in Star Trek: Insurrection and the TV series Jag. And Nancy Fish played the woman on the bus. She was in The Mask and Dennis's favorite, Howard the Duck, after faking her death. (laughs) Well, Dennis may or may—I know Dennis is driving back from somewhere tonight, and he wanted to try to join us for some of our movies that we're recording, and so he may or may not jump in here. And I'm a little disappointed he wasn't here for me to mention Howard the Duck, but.
3: Well, if he heard that, he's now trying to get his car out of the ditch. Right. and you know
2: he, he may have turned around and started driving in the opposite direction, so he would not get it. Yeah. Uh, after faking her death in order to flee from her violent husband, Martin, Laura Burney leaves Cape Cod and moves to Iowa, where she adopts a new identity and starts dating a local teacher, Ben Woodward. Martin, meanwhile, unearths evidence suggesting that she isn't dead, and when her mother confirms this, he tracks her down to Iowa. He finds Laura and Ben and confronts them, forcing her to fight for her life once again.
1: She is a stranger in a small town. What's your name? Where are you from? My questions. Days when the rains came
3: Is this what they mean by a warm welcome?
1: Ah, a heart have found you Girl. Behind her smile What is it with you? is a secret. Friend, Behind her laughter <laughs> is fear. <laughs> I'm sorry. Behind her happiness Are you
0: okay? I'm gonna be.
1: is a past she can never forget. Laura! I had a husband. He hurt me. She was the only thing I ever loved. I guess I'm just really afraid. She changed her name. Six months ago, your wife removed her mother from this institution. Look, there's obviously some mistake. My wife drowned.
0: I left him, Mom.
1: She changed her looks.
0: What are you doing here?
1: Waiting for you. I want this taken very seriously. She's looking for you. She changed her life. If you need any help, I'm here. Is she with someone?
0: I don't know where.
1: Thanks. The woman she used to be is dead you okay
0: saying goodbye to all the ghosts you know
1: but the man who always wanted her where does she hunt still wants her back i know your every thought Laura. (laughs) nothing could keep me away i can't live without you and i won't let you live without me julia roberts is sleeping with the enemy
2: All right. So very, very quickly, um, that trailer like is very deceiving. You, you start off with yes. the brown-eyed girl, and then it's like her smile. And the one thing, I guess, to remember is that I think this was the next movie Julia Roberts did after Pretty Woman. Yeah. So I would imagine people going to the theaters are going to be like, oh, Oh, Julie Roberts movie. She was great in that Pretty Woman movie. And so they start the trailer off with Brown Eyed Girl. And it's like, oh, yeah, look at that. She's so cute. She's smiling. She's in- Wait, what?
3: Uh- yeah. I- <laughs> well, we'll get into it, John. We'll right. get into it. Right. So, you know. I, I a- wonder if the movie should have tracked a little bit more like the way the trailer did is all I'm going to say.
2: Oh, okay. All right just saying. You th- so you think it should have been a little bit more lighthearted in the beginning? Well, I, I don't know if I don't want to put the cart before the
3: horse, before the okay. whatever, but I just, um, I liked with this movie when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen it. I'm, I'm way jumping ahead. Yeah. I, I just this time I'm watching it and I was being a little bit more critical. Okay. Um, I, I just, I wonder if it could if they could have up, if it could, if how it would have been, if they would have upped the ante a little bit on it. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, and I don't want to judge because now I'm sitting here listening to me, like talk, like who's asking me to write movies for him for crying out loud, like nobody. So maybe I should just keep my big yap shut. Oh, no, I don't no, no, know. No, I'll no. just that's, keep my mouth shut.
2: No, no, that's what we're here for. So anyways, let's, let us proceed with the show. We're here to, we're here to talk about all of the, the suspense and the, the drama and the, psychology and the thrillers and the all that fun stuff so all right man well we will we will we're gonna and if there is if there is any we'll also talk about murder (laughs) which there is a little bit in this movie but
3: oh there there is a little bit it's like the best scene in the movie so yeah yeah so
2: with one of the best lines in the movie Oh yes. yes, I love this scene. But uh, but we'll, yes. we'll get there. We'll get there um, very 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 quickly before I forget this one, and then I'm gonna unleash you to talk about the uh, Symphony Fantastique. Oh um, boy, the term I didn't realize this. I was looking this up earlier because I was like, oh, where did that come from originally? The term "sleeping with the enemy" mm-hmm. is actually ancient, like very ancient. Um, and I guess there's there's different different origin stories. I guess from some different. Uh, different countries but one example they said it refers to a betrayal or espionage um and that one of the classic examples is the placing of spies within the harem of a mogul so that would have been ancient india um okay and uh yeah so that was the idea behind the sleeping with the enemy is that it deals with espionage or betrayal interesting which which this movie has a, a little bit of a little bit of both in so it's a little. Yeah. Uh, we'll, I mean, we'll talk more about it as we go along. It's it's got a little bit of with that espionage and, and betrayal piece to it. It's it's got a little um, little Hitchcock feeling to it at some different times. Yeah, but uh, but we'll get there. So, um, all right, music man, play me play me a tune here. What do you got?
3: <sighs> so, the use of Symphony Fantastique. Uh, outstanding, and you know what? I, I wanted to go back and scrub through the film and see which version they had because they they go out to the party, yeah, and when they come back, he puts that on like that's the one disc in their CD cabinet, right? And I couldn't see which version he had. I was looking, I didn't see what symphony and what I don't know if it's even visual, visible. You know what I'm saying? Or if all you get is like the title Symphony Fantastique and they put it on. Symphony Fantastique is a really, really amazing piece of music. And if we have any uh, music aficionados out there, please correct me if I get any of this wrong. You can attach your comments to a PlayStation 5 and send it to the show. Um, Those of you that have not listened to Symphony Fantastique but enjoy music... Should check out Symphony Fantastique. Make use of YouTube. There are so many free versions, and there's some there's some live recordings. There's one in particular, and it's uh, Bernstein conducting the Berlin Philharmonic, I think. Um, okay. But it's it's video, and so you get to see him, and you get to see the musicians playing. You get to see all the percussion. Um, it's it's awesome. So Symphony Fantastique, right? It was written in 1830, and it was it it was one of I th- no, I'm I'm saying the first a piece of what they call program music. And it was really a, a, a great example of the romantic era of classical music. Now, without getting too like luxury about it, essentially music before this time period written music, written during like the high classical time period was um, music written. I don't want to say music for music's sake, but there was no story. Beyond what you heard, right? Like, so you could listen to the music and maybe you would imagine things in your head, or you, would um, you know, imagine certain scenes. I mean, we've all seen movies and are very affected by things, so it's very easy to listen to it and be like, oh, I could, hear, I could imagine this is the soundtrack of fill in the blank, or I could, in my mind, when I'm listening to this, I'm imagining this scene or whatnot. What happened after that period, and I'm talking after the period of Mozart and Haydn and all that kind of thing, is composers decided to take those forms and those performing groups like the string orchestra, and suddenly they were like, okay, what can we do to change this art form and make it make it use it to tell stories? And they took a lot of the forms that had become kind of standard practice and they began to expand on the forms. They took the groups like it was in in classical times, what might've purely been a symphony orchestra or a string orchestra rather with violins, violas, cellos, basses, and so forth. Now they were gonna pack it into what we call a symphony orchestra, various forms of percussion, uh, brass instruments, woodwind instruments, as well as strings. The idea of using these instruments to like paint pictures and tell stories. The person that really took this to a high level um, and was really, if not the first, one of the first, and, and the most famous that did this was a person named Hector Hector Berlioz, and he wrote a piece called Symphony Fantastique, and it was the first example of what we would call program music. And by that is like other symphonies, there were multi different movements, okay, different sections within the the piece. And what he did was he wrote a little story for each section of his piece of music. There were five parts to it. Okay. And what he did in the first movement, and this was all written out. So when you would go hear the symphony Fantastique, you would read the concert program and you would know exactly what story he was trying to tell. And the first movement, uh, let me back up before I get into the movements, what he did to help tell the story is many of the same things that we study in movie music today. He wrote themes, for specific characters in his story. Mm -hmm. He would write accompaniment to those themes to help fill in the gaps and provide a setting for those main characters. Now that translated into, you know, as opera, and you got into like, you know, Germanic opera at the end of the 1800s, you know, where they would talk about like leitmotifs and all that. and that transferred right into movie music where you would talk about themes and then the accompaniment with those themes and how those themes would represent characters and the accompaniment would uh, 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 represent like a setting and so forth, Berlioz was doing uh, in his Symphony Fantastique. Okay, so to the story. First movement um, was telling the story of our main character uh, and how he saw this woman that he fell madly in love with, okay, and in that you hear very romantic, very sweeping, very uh, emotional uh, theme to represent this main character, to represent his love interest, okay, mm-hmm. and this is very much established in the first movement. The second movement, which I think at the beginning of the show when you were when you were uh, looking for the DSIR section, I believe that second movement. Uh, was the second movement, and that was called the ball. Okay, and by the ball I mean a dance, sort of like in the in if you can imagine like Cinderella, like the grand ball where everyone's like dancing with the waltz and all that. And you hear in the second movement the main theme, meaning our main character has sees this woman that he's fallen in love with because the woman is represented by the theme, but now it's being accompanied by music in the form of a waltz. And so you hear all these musical musical devices that transport the audience as they're listening into the scene of they imagine that they're in a waltz, they're at a dance because that's the theme that they're hearing, that's the accompaniment, that's the sounds that they're hearing. So again, we're telling the story. So this our main character sees the woman at the ball but again can't bring himself to speak to her. The third movement, they call it the pastoral movement and the it, without making a long story uh, too long, it's imagine our main character sees this woman in a place of natural beauty. Imagine at a forest preserve or a botanic garden or something like that. Again, he uh, admires her from afar, but can't bring himself to speak to her. And again, they use the theme to represent the main care, the main love interest, right? The woman he's fallen in love with. And they also use many devices that represent nature and represent the pastoral quality um, uh, of sound, right And they' and they're painting nature with this um, with these sounds. So again, the audience is reading the story, but then they get like a musical soundtrack with all the themes and accompaniments to bring these characters to life in their mind. Now, if you're beginning to think, wow, this sounds rather stalkerish. We've got three movements in the symphony or three chapters in this musical book, if you will, that are telling the story about a guy that's fallen in love with this girl, but he's not, he's just watching her. He's kind of like following her. It sounds a little creepy and stalkerish. Well, that's exactly right. Because the fourth movement, John, is called the March to the Scaffold. And this is, this takes place in, after our main character fell into a jealous, drug-induced rage and murdered the woman that he was stalking. Okay, and that takes place in between the third and the fourth movement. The fourth movement, the march to the scaffold is, our main character has been caught and is being marched through the town to the guillotine to have his head chopped off because he's this murderer. Okay, so if you listen to the first three music, uh, three, I'm sorry, three movements of the music. You're hearing beautiful flowing themes that represent uh, our, uh, th- this woman. You're hearing this beautiful dance movement, the beautiful nature movement to represent the different places that he sees her. The fourth movement, the accompaniment starts off with this very somber brass uh, brass theme And then this accompaniment of these drums to paint the picture of this man being marched off this death March through the town. Right. And as you go, you'll hear the the theme that represents our main character. You'll hear the accompaniment of the drums to represent the March and you'll hear the, the brass fanfares that represent the townspeople jeering at him, throwing things at him saying, you know, off with his head, death to the murderer and all this kind of thing. And it's all being painted with these wonderfully rich, uh, themes and accompaniments. The highlight of this fourth movement. And again, this was like revolutionary in 1830 is still studied today. Even okay. The highlight of that comes at the end of the movement. When the music builds up to the crescendoing climax where our main character is brought to the guillotine, the music builds up to this climax and all of a sudden it goes silent, except for one solitary instrument, a clarinet, I believe playing the main theme that represents the woman that he had fallen in love with. However, it gets interrupted in the middle, interrupted with what you say, it gets interrupted with a sudden strike uh, accent in the orchestra, which is to represent the guillotine blade slamming down Chopping our main character's head off. It is quickly followed by Pixicato in the strings, blump blump blump, which represents literally represents his head bouncing away and into the basket. Followed by a drum roll and a brass fanfare, which is supposed to represent the uh, uh, um, executioner lifting his head up and the audience cheering madly because the you know we've put this murderer to death. So it's a very bloodthirsty yet very vivid uh, piece of music because it literally paints a beheading into the song itself, complete with sound effects, the head bouncing away in the strings, the final thought uh, re- using a theme that had happened earlier in the song or early in the piece of music to represent his final thought uh, of, of this beautiful woman that he had killed in his drug uh, his drug uh, induced rage. However, it doesn't end there. Well, here you get I, I wanted to
2: see. I wanted to see if I, I was on play a little bit of it. Do you tell me if I'm kind of in the right spot for this? Um, towards the end of the fourth movement.
3: End of the fourth movement. March to the All scaffold. Right. I would say go to about the four minute and fifteen second mark, and that will build up to the end.
2: A little bit earlier than that, probably. Okay. Let's do a little bit earlier. There we go. Yeah. See that up up until that point it still sounds fairly sweet. Yes. <laughs> and this is supposed to be all the townspeople cheering
3: like, Yes, we're going to put him to death.
2: Yeah. got to be the most dramatic beheading I've ever heard oh it's wait till (laughs) you get to the beheading
3: here we go the final thought here there you go there you go There you go. So you heard there the final thought, the blade slammed down, boom, 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 the head bounced away into the basket and the audience, the crowd cheer because this murderer has been has been put to death. So this 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 like, you know, dastardly story of just blood soaked rage and murder and mayhem and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't end there. Okay, Berlioz wrote a fifth movement. They call it the Witch's Sabbath. This is where the story gets supernatural and almost like horror film-esque. And I will say that much of the romantic music that came after this, and by romantic, I mean the romantic time period, because that's what they call this, much of it did have this ring of the supernatural and this idea of ghosts and goblins and suffering and death and, and so forth. So... The fifth movement, our main character wakes up after being beheaded. He's in the middle of a graveyard. And the movement starts with this kind of mysterious kind of waking up and and it's mystery and like, where am I and what's going on? And he realizes as the music starts to pick up, he's in a graveyard. And also coming out of the graves are these ghosts and goblins and demons and all this other sort of stuff that is coming out and kind of eyeing him and laughing at him and taunting him. And the music builds up as he starts to panic and starts to get chased. And then all of a sudden, walking through the cemetery, he sees the woman that he had fallen in love with and murdered. This beautiful woman, his love interest. However, as she is coming across, she begins to transfigure before his eyes, right? And she is in reality a witch. A monster, not a witch like in the sense of Harry Potter, not a witch like in the sense of Elphaba, okay, but like monstrous, grotesque. Now, how do they tell you this? And this is the thing that's amazing. They uh, Berlioz uses the same theme that represented her in the earlier movements, but he alters that theme to make her seem grotesque to make her seem evil he writes it in the form of a jig okay and it's just kind of this dun 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 -dun 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 okay it's got this bouncing lilting kind of feel and it, it sounds kind of like as if she's walking kind of awkwardly like this monster laughing at him ridiculing him because the whole thing she had been tempting him and casting spells on him faked her murder just so she could get him into the graveyard and all her and her monsters and everything could tempt him and torture him for the rest of eternity. So after you hear that, the quote of this music, uh, with, you know, where her theme is altered there to represent her being altered. That's where you see that here, the clock chime, which is supposed to be midnight and they cut into the DS eerie, which we played at the beginning, that very uh, dramatic, uh, quote of DS eerie. Giving a second to talk about Dies Irae, Dies Irae is a theme that dates back to the Middle Ages, okay? And it's supposed to, you know, it's Latin, and it talks about, you know, it's it's something to do with biblical nature, and it's supposed to talk about suffering and all this kind of thing. The theme itself, the melody itself, has been used as it's being used here in Symphony Fantastique, basically signifies... Um, And I'm gonna quote David W. Collins and the soundtrack show, Doom and Gloom. And if you wanna hear a whole history on -ER ERA, go check out the Soundtrack Show podcast, David W. Collins, listen to his Doom and Gloom episode. Because not only is this used in Symphony Fantastique to uh, signify monsters and goblins and all that coming after you, but it is used in almost every single movie to signify horror or danger or something bad happening. And not only like it is just directly used, like, for example, in this movie, uh, directly used uh, to, to tell, okay, bad guy, this is bad things, but you'll find little snippets of it. Used throughout, and David W. Collins, and actually, our 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 co-host Jeff Mazuka has a wonderful unit in his class. I mean, he's he is an awesome teacher uh, that goes without saying. But he has this wonderful unit in one of his classes where he talks about the power of music and telling stories and the hero's journey and so forth. And he'll talk about this too. Um, but he they go and and like I said, and David W. Collins will go through, and it is like movie after movie will use this, even if it's just a part of it. Right? Just a part of it. Um, you, and, and is I'll give the one that's, that amazes me is even in the end of star Wars, it puts a little bit of the DS era into that star Wars melody. So even when you've got this triumphant epic star Wars, good versus evil, how do they paint the evil into that theme? they use a little bit of the Dies Irae theme. So this Dies Irae theme, just for hundreds of years, thousands of years, has been used to signify doom and gloom. Um, I, and Berlioz used a, it in his Symphantistique.
2: Yeah, I think I have a quick clip here. Let me see if I've got it. Do it, man.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's it. What's really amazing is if you go back and listen to the Gregorian chant, the old chant uh-huh. when it was sung, it doesn't quite have the same sinister like kaboom uh, mm-hmm. that hits you when, when it's treated in different ways. Um, but it's, it's still amazing that that theme can still make your skin crawl yeah. and freak you out. You might not even know. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm sorry, cause I just got off on a bender and I love Symphony I, Fantastique. No, it's a no. great, it's, it's a fantastic piece of music. Now here's my bias. If you're gonna listen to it, listen to any version you want, find like online. There are so many great orchestras out there. They all do a, a fantastic job of it. The online, the video I, I know on YouTube that I use is uh, Bernstein conducting the Berlin, I think it's Berlin Philharmonic. My bias, and it's not just because I live there, but being a trumpet player, my bias is the Chicago symphony orchestra because of it's just epic brass section. Mm. And if you can find a recording, especially in the Schulte years of symphony fantastique um, Schulte was uh, uh, Sir George Schulte directed them, I think in the, like the late sixties, seventies. And he would let the, like when he would direct the brass, he would let slip the dogs of war. He'd, he'd let the, he'd let the brass off leash nice. and it was just, uh, you know, some of my string friends said that that was maybe a little bit much. I'm a brass player, so I like my head being caved in by, like, the assault of the brass sound, yeah. uh, the wonderful Adolf Herseth principal chair. But all those brass guys that played that stuff, um, oh, my gosh, just amazing. And, uh, okay, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, that's my recommendation, brass section, They'll 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 let you have it. Especially that part when you played the march to the scaffold, mm-hmm. you know, with the da da da, da 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 and down in the basement you got the tuba and the bass trombone just hitting those low notes and it's just like boom. I mean it's it's amazing. It's awesome. So that's my recommendation. I love you all. Great piece <laughs> of music. Sorry, John. I got excited. I got fired up.
2: I, no, awesome. don't ever apologize for that. Um, I, the, the version I was playing—just if anybody wants—is is looking for that as well. Go look for the Chicago one because that sounds amazing. Um, What'd you get, John? What'd you get? Hook the version up. I was playing was—it um, was the London Symphony Orchestra conducted <sighs> by Sir Colin Davis.
3: Oh, London Symphony Orchestra. I mean, it's like it's like the London Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. So here's you know what? No, honestly, I'd, I'd be curious
2: to. I want to. I want to go check out the Chicago one if I can find it.
3: Yeah. I mean, and there's probably multiple. And here's the thing, like, here's me, here's me being that guy, like back in the day, back in the day when you'd go out, this is why I didn't have any money in college is you'd buy them all get the London symphony, get the Berlin Philharmonic, get the, you know, Vienna Philharmonic, get the Chicago symphony orchestra, get the New York, you know what I'm saying? Like get them all, get them all and compare them. You know what I'm saying? And that get them all and like get the Chicago under, you know, uh, sir george schulte get the one you know under fritz reiner get the recording under ricardo muti get and then comp- you know what i'm saying it's all good and they're all a little different that this the nuance it's like who's playing in the section who's the director how are they going to change it are they going this tempo or are they going that tempo are they going to slow it down are they going to speed it up oh it's outstanding stuff
2: here i think i found um uh, I'll, I'll play one more clip and then we'll 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 get on to talking about the movie, but this. Oh, this we got to like, talk about the movie. Like, that's right. Well, yeah. Sorry. But, I mean, like having you around here is like having our own personal David W. Collins, like just uh, diving uh, no, in into the music. and What's your what's your middle initial? I keep forgetting. R. R. Okay. So that's right. So I, I you're R. Patrick R. Canigallo.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not that very kind. I'm not in, anywhere in the same league as, as, as David W. Collins, but boy, I love that Symphony Fantastique. I'll
2: tell you that. So, I think I found a Chicago one. Let's see. Do you know what year it so would be? Uh, let's see. Um, looks like it might have been in the 90s.
3: Okay. Adolf Herseth would have still been playing then. Uh, let's see. There you go. Right there. Right oh. where you dropped the needle. Right where you dropped the needle. That was the beautiful theme that was that, 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 that was, but she had become a witch at that point.
2: Yeah. Uh, this says conducted by Sir George Salty.
3: Yep, that's it. Yep. yep. That's Sir George Salty. All right.
2: We'll just we'll just let this breathe for a minute.
3: Yeah. Here we go. <sighs>
2: Well, you came for sleeping with the enemy and, and you got, I mean, basically you got taken to school, music school.
3: Yeah. When that tuba, when that tuba cut in, I just, I just let out a scream and I heard from upstairs, wait, what's going on? Is it time to wake up? Is dad okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: sorry, man. I got all fired up. <laughs> oh man. That's just, that's some good stuff. I, that one's getting, and actually I do like the Chicago one a little bit better than the London Symphony Orchestra. But It just, when the horns, when that comes in at the, bom, bom, it sounds yeah. more sinister in this version.
3: Yeah, and it's a, a bit I mean like compare them all. Little I mean yeah, you got yeah. you got to listen to them all. And I bet you like like uh, the the fourth movement, the the march to the scaffold yeah. when they get into that da, 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 I mean it's yeah, he,
2: he, yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm always for some reason this this piece of music was not on my list. I, every year I add a little bit to my um Halloween music list mm-hmm. that I listen once it turns October. I'm kind of like, you know how when when the Christmas decorations start showing up at Home Depot and September. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And then people get all excited and they just like do nothing but Christmas stuff starting in after Labor Day. Um I'm kind of that way with with, uh Halloween music and scary movie music and things like that. Right. As soon as it hits October 1st, I'm like, nope, I know what playlist is playing nonstop on my car or on my earbuds or whatever. Um, but I'm always looking for music to add and I realized I do not have this piece of music on my playlist. So that is going on the playlist right away.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, man, yeah, put Symphony Fantastique. I mean, even if you've listened to the whole thing, like I said, I recommend yeah. the whole thing, so like a 20-minute piece, piece of music. I like the whole thing, but fourth and fifth movements are great. I'm telling you, if you want to check out, then there's also, the, the, uh, the English is The Elf King, and that's uh, it's for piano and voice. And if you know what that thing's about, man, that'll that'll put hair in your chest and curl your toes when you listen to that. That's, that's intense. That's an intense piece of music. And what the vocalist has to do, man, that's, that's good stuff. It's good stuff. I'll yeah. tell you, man. It's all good
2: stuff. All right. So diving into the movie itself. Uh, so Sleeping with the Enemy. This is, is this the first time you've seen this movie?
3: Ah, uh, no. Okay. Somewhere between the two and a half or fourth. I'm not sure. Okay. What about you?
2: It's about the same for me. I've probably seen okay. it. This might be like the third time yeah. I've watched this. So, yeah, I've seen it a couple times before. Um, so, you know, it's not wasn't a brand new movie to me. And um, you kind of mentioned earlier that you this time you kind of felt like you were going into it a little bit more critically than you had in the past. So going back to before you watched it this time, um, how did this movie make you feel like when you when you see this movie on our list of movies that are coming up? What was your first thought when you saw Sleeping with the Enemy?
3: My first thought was like, oh, cool. I like this one. I remember seeing this one when it came out. It was it a buddy's house? Or in and about when it came out, was it a buddy's house? Saw it, like remember being, you know, cheering for the good guys, hating the bad guy. You know, I dug it, man. Yeah. I was fired up. And the only reason I was wanting to be critical this time was the Rotten Tomato score popped up, and I noticed mm-hmm. that on the Rotten Tomato score, the critic score was low, and I was kind of like, really? I thought this was a really good movie. Like, why was that so low? So I tried to go into it like trying to be a little bit more critical to kind of understand where they were coming from. That's the only reason I decided to be a little bit more, try to be a little more discerning this time. Yeah. But no, I was, I was excited. I'm like, this is, gonna be, uh, this is a cool movie.
2: Yeah. I, same for me. Like, I think the first couple of times I've watched this movie, um, I don't know that I really thought too much about it. Um, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed Julia Roberts movies from, you know, some of the more serious ones like the Pelican brief or, Erin uh, Brockovich to Pretty Woman to when she's in the um, Oceans movies and um, you know all that stuff and so I've always enjoyed her as an actress and always enjoyed her movies and I think when watching this one the first times around um, I just I kind of watched them and, and didn't really necessarily think too much about you know the story and about some of the other pieces to it and I think kind of like you like this time I was walking into it going alright all right. so now this time I actually got a kind of seriously take a look at this, and what do I really, as I'm thinking about the the performances and the story, and I, let, let me just really pay attention to those things, and I will say that, and I don't know if this is the direction you're going with yours, but I will say that watching it with a more critical eye this time around, I was like, yeah, I I do see some warts. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, is that where you were going with yours, too? Yeah, yeah. I... Uh... Yeah. You know, I mean, just. (sighs) And you can, I mean, anybody can be as critical as they want to be with any kind of a movie. And obviously I've seen this movie twice at least and and enjoyed it. You know, I'm not going to say it's one of my favorite movies, but um, it is one that I've watched a couple of times. And I... I I think it's a halfway decent. I'll say it's a halfway decent stalker thriller kind of movie.
3: Yeah, I. I do, and the, the thing that kind of has put me just wanting to be careful is, you know, it's taking some very serious subject matter. Now, it's based off a novel, not to say that that's good, bad, right, wrong, or indifferent, but it's taken some pretty serious subject matter, as, as you mentioned at the top of the show, like, you know, we might crack some jokes. I mean, we're eyeing a the Symphony Fantastique, but my gosh, there's, there's people stuck in, you know, this kind of a situation out there, and that's just very scary, Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to say, is this right to tell a movie about it? Um, but I want to be careful cause the things I'm going to, I'm going to revert back to being 14 years old. And my favorite scene is the end, the, the one that we're going to, I'm sure talk about. And it's like, I don't want to say, you know, am I missing the point? And am I getting too into the action aspect of this? Um, as opposed to the, oh my gosh, what this represents, this is, this is a pretty bad deal. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, so I I don't know that I don't know what that thought even means, but that's my one thought. But yeah, I, I there were some warts and there were some things in there that I was just kind of like, ah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of leaving me flat. Um,
2: you felt a tad
3: flat. I felt a tad. Flat. So I'll, I'll wait until the discussion kind of unpacks itself. But yes, okay. it was just there were some things that I, I, you know, it it didn't quite do it for me okay. as much as, you know.
2: Yeah. So what is it when, when you had watched this movie before and even watching it this time around, too? What is it that's memorable about this movie? Like, why do you think because it is one that if you are, you know, if you're at least our age, um i think you can say the name sleeping with the enemy and i think people are like oh yeah that's that one with the you know with the stalker guy and julia roberts and um you know i think people have a a sense of this movie so it's one that at least even if you haven't seen it i think people kind of know what it is it's one of those type of movies um so what is it that you think is memorable about this one uh other than the symphony fantastic other than symphony Um, fantastic yeah uh, for me, the biggest thing that stood
3: out was, um, you know, just how evil that, 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 that sack of poop, uh, husband of hers was. And then, um,
2: which is actually, end, which is actually, if he faked his own death, that was going to be the last name he was going to choose for himself. Yeah, I bet.
3: And, uh, that, and the, and, and, you know, favorite scene, hello, police, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You can't stop me. Yeah. please hurry. I've just shot an intruder in
2: my house. It's even, it's even better than that. It's, yeah. it's like, please come quick. I've just killed an intruder.
3: That's right. Yeah. I've just, yeah. Yeah. Um, she, uh, and then she administers the coupe de Gracie oh. on that one. But, uh, I would say that's, what's memorable to me, um, about this movie and again, I feel guilty about saying that because it's like, I think we might not be seeing the forest for the trees here, Pat, because when you see something at 14 years of age, that's going to be the stuff that you, do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's, that's, that's the action. That's the cool stuff. That's where she gets the bad guy. Yeah. You know, what
2: what's, about you? What's memorable to me is, is I think Patrick Bergen as the villain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and just how just how evil he is and just how it it really comes out of and and this will be maybe a little bit a part of one of my criticisms how it really comes out of left field um Mm -hmm. you know especially if they're at the very beginning of the movie and and, i mean i think that's a piece that they did well where you really didn't know this was coming until all of a sudden he hits her um and you know because we start off we start off in kind of the idyllic setting they're in their, you know, Cape Cod home and everything is beautiful. And she's, you know, she's uh, picking shells on the beach and, you know, they're talking about their, their dinner plans and all this other stuff. And, um, and then it kind of quickly takes a turn, you know, especially that time that she doesn't have the, the towels straightened up quite correctly. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's, it's like, well, that es- es- escalated quickly.
3: Did you, it does escalate quickly. And I, I'm guessing well, I'm not guessing, but I would I wonder if the book gives you a little bit more of the build in that or more examples of it or Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I'd be I'd be curious to see. Now, let me ask you this. The first time you saw it, was that when he smacks her? Was that was that the oh wow, this is not good? Or was that just the confirmation? Because there were some little breadcrumbs before that,
2: right? There were some little breadcrumbs. I'm trying to remember back to the first time I did see this and I don't even know that I was picking up the breadcrumbs. Um, Okay. You know, because the first time seeing this, I I think, I mean, I had a sense of what this movie was going to be about. Um, Right. So, I mean, you kind of already know, especially if you've seen the trailer or, you know, you kind of have a sense of what's going to happen here. So, I mean, but I'm not sure i think well, it's probably, see, i think it was probably the second time watching it that i was like oh yeah he doesn't he's not reacting very oh yeah he made that little comment about how she's been doing this a lot and he doesn't really like it and okay that's a little off and you know and, and maybe and and here we are and we try to be aware of this and we try to say this you know every time this comes up but uh you know for lack of a better term you and i are a couple of a uh, couple of straight white dudes Right. Uh, Middle class straight white dudes, and so when we come to a situation where we're talking about a movie, um, you know that is not where we are not the target demographic, or, or we are not one of the main characters, then we can have all the criticisms and opinions and things that we want. But it's always going to be different from another person's point of view. So, yeah, things that I may have watched and been like, oh, I didn't really even pick that up as being odd, I, there may be someone else who's sitting there going, oh, good lord, that's a red flag from a mile away. Well, see, and I remember,
3: like, I I stood out when he was like, you know, why are you wearing that dress? Oh, well, I want you to wear, it was kind of like, yeah. a boy, the other one would be that, And then suddenly she's wearing the, the other dress. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, boy, there's no way for me to say this without their listening audience. The world over goes, oh, the, look at Canada Gallo's being one of those guys. I really don't want to be one of those guys. But I think I remember, like, that was eyebrow raising. Like, that was. Yeah, curious, Captain. Like, like even back in the day, I remember being like, "Really? Like that's kind of... I mean, not like, oh, is he going to start smacking the?
2: Yeah, no. Trap I, out I of think her. I think my but first that indication, one stuck out. No, I think my first indication that something was off was when she says something to the effect that, "Well, that one's backless and it's going to be cold." and then yeah. he i don't remember he makes a comment or whatever but then the next scene she's wearing the backless dress yes. and she's got no coat yes. or no jacket i think even the first time seeing the movie that was one of the first times that i was like oh well that's not cool
3: yes yes and 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 you realize it's just like yeah that's just not cool
2: yeah what
3: you know what what yeah. um now watching it this time like when she goes oh look i messed up your suit and he's just like yeah yeah or, or, or and then it's just like who cares, man? Like I'm living on the beach. You're gonna get sand on the beach. But right. then his reaction is, I'll, "I'll go change." And he's like wiping himself off as he walks away. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, this guy, not good. Right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, even if he wasn't like hitting her, like you can't live at the beach and be like complaining like that. Yeah. That's just not allowed.
2: So she you does. Uh, she does go through. She does manage to elaborately fake her death. Yep. Um, and this time around.
3: Hey just I'm just going to yeah. throw this out there. If no. you're if you're out there sailing and a sudden yeah, it's beautiful weather and we're going to sail at night. And okay, okay you better know kind of what you're doing if you're sailing at night. I'm sure. just going to throw this out there. I'm not an experienced sailor. I've been out on boats a bunch but like, you know, the other other people in my family are the sailors. Yeah, if the storm comes up quickly, you don't try to turn it around and keep the sails up. Basically, you want to drop the sails fire up the motor and just motor in just saying okay and if you do have to go up and it's that bad you would attach what's called a lifeline to everybody to make sure that if you do go overboard you have a way to get back on board just throwing that out there so you know i'm not trying to you know rip the movie maybe i'm just trying to rip the guy that said he was all experienced in sailing up the coast and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff yeah. Okay, I'm muting myself and being
2: quiet now. I apologize. No, that's, that's fine. Everything you said, it's it's true. You're 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 motoring. Yeah. What's your price for that's... flight? <laughs> that's right, finding man. Finding Mr. Wright. You'll be all right tonight. Hey, actually, that fit those song lyrics fit with this movie. That it there it is, man. You're motoring. What's your price for flight? She takes flight, she leaves, she gets on the bus and she goes. In finding Mr. Wright, there's Ben, you'll be all right tonight. Oh
3: man. See? I, it should be they should they should make this into a musical.
2: Man, Night Ranger knew exactly what they were talking about. Yeah, they did. And this was years before this movie came out. It was '83. I know that just blew my mind. Yeah, you okay. just blew your own mind. I just I did. I blew my own mind. Okay.
3: Do um, you need a you need a moment, or are you good, or I'm, can I'm, we?
2: I'm probably fine. I'm probably fine. okay. Um. So yeah. So I, quick overview of the rest of the movie, and then we can dive into you know how we really feel about this movie. Um, and I'm not going to, I don't want to tear it apart, but I do have some no, criticisms no, no. having watched it this time. Cause it's still an entertaining movie, but, um, but I do have a few things here and there that just wanted to kind of point out. Um, yeah. So, yes. So basically she has this elaborate plan to fake her own death um, and she, you know, falls overboard and it's, it's said a few times that she can't swim. Um, and so she falls overboard during this storm um, I will insert very quickly that this time watching it, I was like, because it had been a long time since I'd seen this. I was like, wait, does the the doctor on the boat is he in on this whole thing? You know, because he kept oh. he kept saying, you know, oh no, weather's going to be great, it's going to be fine. And it, if the weather oh, had yeah. if the weather had not been bad, then her whole plan wouldn't have worked. No. So part no. of me is like, well, is it? Hmm. Is he in on it? Mm. Like, did he come over and visit her? And did she tell him what was going on with her husband? And, you know, is this whole thing kind of arranged? Because she's been planning this for a while. And how could this one opportunity just happen to come up if the, the doctor guy wasn't involved in it? So, I don't know. That was that was one thing that kind of stuck in my mind this time. Um, yeah. One of the other th- but that's going to kind of go along with some, some other stuff that I have that I want to say about the movie. Um, so, she runs and she relocates herself to Iowa. She changes her name. She gets a house and, uh, she eventually does meet, uh, Ben Woodward and he is a drama teacher at a local college. And, uh, he is a, he's a nice guy. Um, and he's trying to, you know, he, he meets her and, and she's the new pretty girl in town. And so obviously he wants to strike up a conversation with her, but she's very kind of standoffish. and. Um,
3: and and let's be honest when he, the way he tries to strike up a conversation sneaking up in the dark and then being like pretend jerk about stealing the apples
2: yeah not not I, not charming
3: yeah not charming at all not cool and that was one thing that you know as a 14-year-old kid it was just like you know that part was like right over my head cuz ha, he's being silly but then it's sort of like now being um a 43 year old kid mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's going to teach his 14 year old kid. Yeah. Don't do that. Right. Don't even joke like that. No. Like it. Yeah. That's, that's not how you roll. No. And if you're trying, if you're trying to meet someone, that's not how you roll. If there's someone new in the like, okay, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but like that whole scene was like, wow, that's dating the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's- and maybe that maybe that kind of stuff would still happen today. I mean, let's be honest, that kind of stuff would still happen today. It it would still happen
2: today. But it's it's like what I've told my own children is that as they've gotten older and they're in school, having you know, being someone who works in a school and recognizes that the stuff that we got away with in school and and even go further back and the stuff that I know my my dad and parents got away with when they were in school like yeah. none of that stuff would fly today. So there have been several times that I have mentioned to my children as they've gotten older in school, uh, especially my son who would like to, he's like, oh, I'm, j- I'm gonna do this as a prank. I'm gonna do it. Like, no, we need to have a quick conversation. You need to yeah. pretend, or, or just believe without a doubt, school officials have no sense of humor. Mm. Okay, not, not that they don't, because they are real people and they have senses of humor. But you, as a student, when you go to school, you need to assume that, and and for life. Let's just assume it this way: uh, people in leadership, police officers, and school officials have no sense of humor at all. Mm-hmm. So even if you think it's funny, please don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, I and I know, like I. I was, I was a bit of a prankster when I was in school and I definitely know my dad was when he was in school, but the stuff you could get away with in the sixties and seventies and in the nineties is a little different than what you can get away with today.
3: Yeah. I think it would have been a funny if she like tased him. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. if she, if he's like, Hey, you're stealing apples. Really? You know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like that, <laughs> yeah. that would have been funny. Yeah that I, I i give the movie four stars, now, then
2: now he knows what his pot roast feels like,
3: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to rewrite this movie, yeah,
2: um I, you actually just summed up <laughs> my entire criticism of the movie <laughs> is that you didn't rewrite the movie
3: or no, that she I, didn't I, tase him?
2: i I would love to rewrite the movie i I think the writing yeah. is the 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 story and the writing is the weakest part, I think, for the whole movie, um but we'll yeah. we'll get there, so um. Yeah. So they kind of start to fall for each other. And in the meantime, uh, he does, uh, Martin does find out um, through a series of unfortunate events that um, she is still alive and that she's yeah. around somewhere. And so he starts the process of tracking her down. And then eventually he does find her. And then we culminate at the end with the uh, symphony fantastique and the uh, rearranging of the cabinets and the towels and the everything else. And um, we have the confrontation which the, the part that I did appreciate every time I've watched this is that for the movie to really strike the chord that I felt like it needed to strike, um, Julia Roberts had to be the one to get herself out of this situation. Yeah. That the only, Even this time, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. what How does the, the final part go down? It's been years since I've watched this. Um, ben gets knocked out right away. Yeah. So there's nobody else coming to save her. She's going to have to save herself. And that's the part where I was like, okay, nope, good. I'm, I'm glad I, I didn't want, you know, as, as a story with this being its topic, I, I didn't want Ben to be the one to just swoop in and save her at the end there. And I, and I remembered that she is the one that shot Martin in the end. Um, but I just kept thinking, I was like, Oh, how much does he, I don't remember how much Ben is actually involved in the final part here. I, I just don't remember that part. So um. So, yes, she finally, you know, she kills Martin at the end and, uh, you know, she, she and Ben then at that point can live happily and she no longer has to live in fear of, of Martin and his very stalkery, terrible ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, real quick, my and, and I really don't have too much else to say about the movie other than still an entertaining movie, still an enjoying movie, enjoyable movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I, to your point, I wish I could have rewritten this movie. Or, or I wish I wish someone could rewrite. That doesn't have to be me. Um, yeah. I wish someone could rewrite this movie because I feel like there are so many instances where they really dropped the ball with what they could have done with this movie. Yeah. You've got such a serious topic, and they give it such a they give it such a two dimensional villain. Yeah. Which, you know, sometimes I'm okay with that. And and as a villain. As a, if you're thinking of this as like a monster movie, then he's a halfway decent monster. You know, he's mm-hmm. he seems unstoppable. He's gonna find her no matter what. Um, but it's not a monster movie. It's like a psychological thriller. And I want to mm. think. I want to think a little bit more in my psychological thrillers. So, yeah. as a villain, you know, as a great, as a two dimensional villain, he's good. Like I like him as a two dimensional villain. He's creepy. He does all the things that a two dimensional villain needs to do. I think, though, that they could have gone a step further with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think they could have gone a step further with a lot of the different pieces in this movie, you know, with with her in particular, and I think that there were a lot of details. You know, the, the story piece, especially watching it this time, w- watching it in other times past, I did ask myself the exact same questions. This time, I just I, I let those questions linger in my brain a little bit longer. You know, things yeah. like, all right, well, he seems like a guy who you know, keeps track of everything. So how, to, and he's, I think he's supposed to be like a financial advisor or a financial, you know, big wall street financial guy. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of have a feeling that if she has enough money to go live in a house and really not have a job for a stretch of time and, and do all these things she needs to do to get away. Um, I kind of feel like he would know that that money's missing.
3: Well, it, yeah. I mean, all those things basically, If you want it to be she runs away and she starts a new life, you can like, you could like give us none of the details, just jump into that she's in a new life and being pursued by someone, and then use all that time that you did devote to the halfway finished details into a little bit more of, of an elaborate story on that end. But if you're giving the details of how she ran away, then I think you need to give us more details of how she ran away as you pointed out, figuring out the money Uh, as like, okay, you're out. How do you know it's going to be stormy? How is that going to be your opportunity? Like, okay. Um, So she went to the swim club. Now that was supposed to be a surprise, but it really wasn't when it was revealed she was at the swim club because she had already jumped into the water and I think they showed her back at the buoy. Yeah, But, but even that it was kind of told out of order where, and I mean, if you wanted to do like an oceans 11 thing where it's like um, spoilers for oceans, 11, four, three, two, one, where something happens and then they go back and they tell you how it happened. Right. Um, or if you know, or like another thing, uh, Shawshank Redemption does that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like where where something happens and then they will go back and tell you, then I think you need to tell a little bit more of the story and go back and fill in a little bit more of the details. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. this one kind of bounced around. It was like, okay, she's breaking the lights. Okay, but then she's getting on the boat, but then it's serendipitous that it's, it's storming out. Okay, then she swims in, so that connects with the lights. And then I think there was a flashback to her swimming lessons, and then all of a sudden you see it from the um, perspective of the buoy, and she's holding on to the other side of the buoy. And, like, there's, it's it's not making sense, you know? Like, it's kind of jumping around, and nothing is getting told fully. So it's like, if you're going to show the escape and make that a bigger part of it, And show us the escape And make it a big part of it Or just don't show us the escape And just somehow give us enough to get the idea That she escaped And you know she's being pursued And focus into telling that story
2: Yeah Um, You know it's funny That you when you said Shawshank Redemption Mm Because the first thing that popped In my head I, I started I started hearing like the Shawshank music Yeah You know like that Shawshank theme Soon as you said that, like this theme pops into my head, and, and all I hear in my own head is, "And my friend, Laura Bernie, swam through a mile of seaweed
3: and came out clean <laughs> yeah.
2: on the other side."
3: <laughs> there it is. Yeah. There it
2: is. But, uh, well, no, and, and that's. But I mean, you you make you make every point that I this time around, especially, but other times as well. As well I'm like, okay, hold on a second now. This is where it needs to be. Because I, I want this. This is not one of those. Where it's like well, the, the movie's terrible, and I, I'm just just no. throw it away. It's horrible. Um, is I I want I want this movie to be better in the story department because I think Julia Roberts does a fine job in the role. Mm-hmm. I think I think she's good for it, and I think that having had her in Pretty Woman, I think it's perfect to have someone who up to this point. Was in Mystic Pizza, Pretty Woman, Steel Magnolias. That you know her her roles, while they while they could sometimes be sad or bittersweet roles, at the mm-hmm. very I said sweet roles, and then I got hungry. Um, yeah, that they at the very least they were all fairly innocent, right? You know, even when she, even when she's playing a prostitute, she you, she still seems very innocent um, in Pretty Woman. And then put her in this, and this is like one of those times. This is like the first time I saw Robin Williams play a villain, um, right? You know, and I was like, whoa, wait, what? Yeah, he, he can do that. <laughs> That's amazing. um Not that I, not that I ever thought he couldn't do it, but I'm just like, I've never seen this person in this type of role. I could imagine if I was watching this when it first came out in 1991, that I might have been thinking the same thing about Julia Roberts if I'd seen her in other sure. movies. I'd be like, whoa. Well, this is a pretty intense movie for her. This is not her typical thing, um, mm-hmm. so I want this. I want this movie to have been better in the story department, and that's sometimes I think that's some of the times where it falls apart for me. Is exactly what you said, the way that, the way I mean, the the beginning of the movie I think sets it up just fine. I think the beginning of the movie is great, but some of the once we hit the middle, and there's the explanation mm-hmm. for. Oh, well, he finds out that she's not dead because he got this mysterious phone call. Somebody just felt absolutely compelled um, to call and talk to her husband and got his work phone number and shared all these details. And then he goes back home and it, it probably has been weeks since she died, quote unquote, died. Um and he's just now walking along the uh, passageway where there's the broken glass, and, and nobody's come to clean up the broken glass, and there's still the ring in his toilet, so apparently this guy has got the worst case of blocked-up bladder you've ever seen because um, mm-hmm. he's not using his toilet. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's just a lot of, it's, it's two, one or two of those things, and there's other pieces too, but one or two of those things would be almost too coincidental right like it, it starts to make it almost a little bit of a parody at that point it's like wow that's the worst luck anyone's ever had i think
1: yeah yeah
2: and then, and, and then there's a few other pieces too that don't they just don't go anywhere like when he tries to hire the guys to track her down and there's that whole thing of you know and I'll, I'll give ten thousand dollars to the guy that finds her and ten thousand dollars to you too and, and that whole thing but then I don't recall anywhere else in the movie where that ever shows up again. Right. Like, you don't ever see anybody else tracking her down. I, I don't even recall if there were mentions <laughs> of somebody trying to track her down. And then eventually yeah. he just kind of stumbles into tracking her down. So I that for me, that's where it kind of falls apart for me. And I, I really don't actually have too many other criticisms or, or other comments about the movie. The rest of it's fine. Like you said, the ending part of it, I mean, that's that's a great line at the end when she says – you know, and he's like, What are you gonna do? Are you gonna call the police? You're gonna do it? and then she picks up the phone, she's like, you know, please come quickly. I've just killed an intruder. Like, right. that's a that's a great line. That is a, a great line. Um, you know, for this type of movie and just absolutely so hats off to the writers for that one. But I think having looked at the list of writers for this and knowing that the screenplay writer was the same one that did Rain Man and What Dreams May Come, which I love that movie um and i saw a couple of the other movies that are on the list for him i'm just like oh this one's kind yeah. of it's kind of disappointing there's a lot of plot holes in this movie and normally i can overlook plot holes but watching this movie this time around i was like oh i'm i'm kind of seeing all of them now yeah it's it's I like mean, it's like when you well it's like my wife describes when she was a kid um she needed glasses when she was young And I think her parents, you know, didn't necessarily believe her. And they're like, no, you're fine. You're fine. And then finally she does get glasses and she's like, oh, look, there are leaves on the trees. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, yeah, maybe you did need glasses. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. It's like it's watching this movie and you you didn't know you needed to wear glasses or contact lenses. And then watching the movie for some reason, watching the movie this time around, I guess third time's a charm. Um, watching it this time around, it was like putting on glasses for the first time and being like, Oh, yeah, that's what detail looks like.
3: Yeah. And, And I mean, and honestly, I, I just feel if they would change up the order and start with her in the small town, start just like the trailer does start with her voiceover. I went into the water and died that day. And a new person emerged. Just start with that line. Start with her narrating have her narrate a little bit more. And then you're living in this small town and maybe she's a little jumpy and getting to new people. And, and then take all this stuff from the escape, like trim that stuff down because obviously it didn't, it wasn't explained fully anyway. And then kind of intersperse that in or, or use that extra time from cutting that down into kind of getting her more acclimated to the town. And she's the new girl and fitting in and meeting the guy next door and the whole thing. And then I, you know, I'm not a writer, but there's writers out there. Put it in with flashbacks, right? Have, you know, maybe, I don't know, the police investigating or her mom or, you know, and then as the movie goes, have it unfold. And then it's just like, maybe have the bad guy show up, right. Mm -hmm. And stalk her a little bit more. And you're not sure why. Um, I mean, I think there's just different ways to where it would be a little bit more of a thriller Mm -hmm. and a little bit more suspenseful. If she's in this town, you're not sure why she's there. And then he shows up and then we get the flashback and then we get the do you get what I'm saying? Um, Or I don't know, even show that beginning part and don't show her escape. Right. Just like make it the funeral, make it seem like she's dead. And then all of a sudden she pops up in this other town. Like I, I just think, you know, work a little bit more of the suspense part of it, and I think uh, I think it might it might be more entertaining.
2: And see, I think with the with the subject matter of the movie, and I don't know if they felt like they needed to do this because Julia Roberts is their lead, and well, that's you know that's in the other movie she's in. That's what she does. She's a romantic lead too. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they felt that. I don't know if they felt. You know, because yeah. because she's a female actor, that she there needs to be some kind of a love story here for her. Um, I would actually have kept the movie the same as it was in the beginning. Like I like the beginning of the movie, where the way where it starts on Cape Cod, where it's you know it we go through all that stuff. It keeps it kind of a mystery up until you think you know she's died, and yeah. then and then that you could find a way later for at least one of those details. To come out. I think having it be the detail where he finds out that that she was taking swimming lessons instead of working mornings at the library, like she said she mm-hmm. was, I think that's a great way for him to find out. I think he should have found out in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, if he was like, I don't know, if he was walking around town and he happened to walk by the, the YMCA and they had like a, I don't know, had a picture on the wall of you know, people who had finished their swimming lessons or something like that. And I'm like, congratulations to, you know, all of our swimming school graduates or something. And and, you know, she forgot that maybe there was a picture up on the wall of her. Um, and he happens to. spot. I don't know, something like that. Um, a little bit less coincidental than what happened yeah. with the phone call. Um, I would keep the first part of the movie the same. I yeah. think what yeah. I would actually take out of this is I would take out the whole love story with Ben. OK, Like I think it's I think it's more about her. Escaping from this horrible situation, and I think her accomplishing that you don't have to. I mean, I guess if you do it well, you can still have it. Um, I don't think you have to have her find a replacement love interest, yeah, because he yeah. really doesn't do anything. Her husband is going to be jealous of anybody, regardless of whether she's really with someone, so mm-hmm. even if they were just friends in passing. And, you know, he's somebody in town that she happened to meet, but they weren't necessarily going through this whole, you know, courtship kind of thing deal. Right. Um, the husband is still going to get jealous because, remember, he, he stopped that. We grabbed that one guy in the car and, like, yeah. threatened to cut his throat. And he's like, you don't understand. I live with another man. He's like, well, don't tell anybody. Yeah. Um, You know, that whole thing. So I don't think you need I don't think you need the love story. Yeah. So All I would right. actually I would actually trim that fat. And take that out and then I would I you know what actually I might also take out is I might also take out the scenes with the mother in the nursing home. Yeah. I But if I was going to trim something first I think it would be the love story. Yeah. I would take that out and I dedicate a little bit more time to her you know you don't really see how she's getting past or how she's working through getting past what she's been through. Right. You, know, you have a lot of conversations where Ben is trying to press her to talk about, you know, you, you seem like you seem like you there's a mystery here, you a lot of questions. You're very paranoid. You're very, you know, and he's being kind of a jerk about, you know, keep continually pushing, but um yeah. you know, I just I, I want to see more of that kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. And to me watching this movie, I'm like they were bringing it out about around Valentine's Day. Are they thinking are they thinking this is a like, uh, are they thinking this is a date movie that you you, know, you take your date to? And if so, yeah, yikes. Um, yeah, I think that's that might be what I would have done differently.
3: Yeah, no, I I I hear what you're saying, man. I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I mean, a great movie, um, you know, I, but it's uh, yeah, yeah, that would just it just seemed a little uneven. And like I said, it. It was just because I decided to watch with a little bit more of a critical eye after looking at that Rotten Tomato score.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, do we have anything else or are you ready for three questions?
3: Uh, I'm ready for three questions.
2: All right. It's time for three questions. He
1: asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three three, questions. What were they cycles? We all go a little mad sometimes. Quid pro quo. I tell you things. You tell me things.
0: I'm not interrupting anything, am I? You really look deep in thought.
1: So I'll ask you the questions, and then we'll see. All right?
2: Are they psychos or something?
3: Oh man! <laughs> when do we get to talk about that movie?
2: No, they were not psychos; they were vampires. <laughs> psychos do not burst into flame when sunlight hits them. I don't care how crazy, <laughs> I care how crazy <laughs> they were. <laughs> I, I think we got like what, what do we What do we got? Like four more years for that one. Four more years for that one. Four or five, I think. I think it might have been ninety six. All right. Question number one: If you were going to have a summer home on a coast. Which coast would it be?
3: Oh, that's hard.
2: And it, it doesn't have to be a, a, a an ocean coast. It can be a, a lake coast. It can be. Okay. Uh, yeah.
3: Oh, man. Well, now that question just like compounded in difficulty. Did I,
2: did I, um, I, did I open the floodgates for you? So, I'm,
3: I'll, so, okay, of the four answers that I've got, I'm going to go like, uh, I mean, the coast of Ireland, right? There I'll go, go to the west coast of Ireland all day long. There you go you know, six days a week and twice on Sunday, seven days a week and twice on Sunday, whatever the phrase is. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's just my gut knee jerk. Yep. I'll go to the West coast of Ireland. Um, if we've got to narrow the focus down and say any coast, um, you know, I'm a Midwest Lake kind of guy, so I'll just go disappear in, you know, at a lake in the woods somewhere and I'll be happy as a clam if we've got to go to either the West coast or East coast of the United States. Uh, yes. I mean, the East coast is great. Uh, like, you know, especially the Cape Cod area. I've been up to there. It's, it's, it's great. Um, California. I mean, there's not much to say, uh, you know, I'd love getting to the coast out, especially with all the surfing um, and all that kind of thing. I could easily disappear to the coast of California. Uh, that'd be great. Just, do that whole thing um so there's my four answers for you okay but yeah if I had to go like and I've said this this has been my answer to however many three questions in the last whatever but like yeah the west coast of Ireland you know right around County Clare right around Doolin I mean there's surfing there believe it or not there's some good surfing waves off Ireland
2: oh that's what I've heard um
3: so yeah okay west coast of the U.S. or just a lake in the woods
2: okay all right what about
3: you, man? Fire it up. Where are you going?
2: I have got actually my my computer background, and it has been my computer background for at least the last two or three years. Um, okay. But it uh, especially as, as the pandemic has happened, um, and especially in my new role that I had starting a couple years ago as the technology director of our school, um, typically on whatever desk I have in whatever office I'm in. I have about three monitors. Like I have my computer okay. I have my computer in the middle, and I've got two monitors on either side of it. I just – I like to work a little spread out like that. Um, it's the same setup I've actually got sitting right in front of me right now. And okay. <clears throat> what I did is I have this this big kind of panoramic picture of uh, Loch in Scotland – Cool. And I, and that's an American trying to pronounce that, so I do apologize to any of our Scottish friends. Um, and uh, I have this panoramic photo, and what I've done is I've split it up so that each of the different parts. So if you looked across all three of my my monitor screens, it looks like one big long picture. Um, cool. But it's all split up between the three screens, and uh, there's like a mountain in the background, and that's uh, if I could if I could go live there, I'd put like a. I put like a little stone cabin or I'd put like a like a little little mini castle or something like that right there on the, on the mm-hmm. coast of that lake and, and I would just park there and live out the rest of my days quite happily. All right, man. that's awesome. Question number two, you've entered witness protection. You get to pick your new first name, but your last name is one of your biggest fears. What's your new name? Uh, the reason that I, I picked this one up is because her new name, when she le- she's Laura Burney. Um, and then her new name, when she takes on the new identity, is Sarah Waters. And we know that she was afraid of the water. So okay. that's one part of it. And uh, do you remember the nickname he keeps calling her?
3: Uh, no, I don't.
2: He always calls her Princess. Oh, yeah. And the name Sarah means princess. Huh. So So the new name she comes up with is Sarah Waters like princess waters. Um, So your new name in witness protection, you can pick whatever, whatever first name you want. Um, And I, I had a possible guess as to what first name you would pick. So I didn't take that one. Um, But I'm curious to see if I was right. I don't, I don't even,
3: there's no first names. Now I I want to know what you were thinking.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Um, and So then your second name has to be something that you're afraid of. Okay. What's your new name?
3: Oh man, I don't,
2: I can't think of what
3: I was going to pick. Okay. But I'm, I'm curious what you said because I'm, like, so
2: sure. Well, the name that I went with is – Or you're and, so sure. Well, I, the name I went with, it, like, either ends up sounding like it's a like a Bond villain or something. Um, okay. Or or a Bond girl. I don't know. Um, so the name I picked was Clark Deep Space. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There you go. Because I'm absolutely (laughs) Clark because of Superman, but I, or, or Clark W Griswold. Um, but, uh, no, I, I'm still absolutely not that I will ever go into deep space, but I am terrified of the idea of just being like left floating weightless in, in space. Yeah. Okay. So I, not too many other actual fears. Like I'm not a big fan of heights or anything like that, but you know, I figured like Clark tall ladder sounds weird. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, what name did you think I was going to take?
2: Well, th- one of the first names that I thought for a first name, I was like, well, what's a cool sounding first name? Because, no offense, Superman, but Clark is not a cool sounding first name.
3: Right. Um, which so, is probably
2: why, he, yeah. You know, um, no, the first name I was actually going to be, the first thing that popped into my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this one. And then I thought, no, Pat will pick that one. <laughs> um, the name I was going to do was Logan.
3: Oh, yeah,
2: and then I got I, it. I thought no, there's a pretty good chance Pat could pick that one, so let's let's I, not do that.
3: I, I might just take it. I'm oh, floundering it. on this question. Go for I'll it. take
2: Logan. Okay, Logan's what's what's one of your biggest fears? Uh
3: like failure, letting people down. Okay. Falling, like could it be Logan, I mean, Logan failure doesn't make much sense. Could be What's another way of saying failure or falling short?
2: Logan disappointment.
3: Logan disappointment. I mean, um, I was thinking like inef- ineffective, Logan ineffective. Let's yeah. see. That doesn't make that. Um, I mean, it could be like, you know, I wish it was like bugs. Logan bugs.
2: Uh, you know, you could go. Um, let's see. Uh, crash. I'm just looking up synonyms for fail at this point. Uh, okay. <clears throat> decline, decline. Fall. Logan. Logan decline. Logan decline. That'd be a good one. Logan decline. Logan decline. Now you do sound like you should be selling like perfumes and colognes.
3: Yeah. I'd like you to check out my new
2: line. Yeah. Well, it's, written like, all, Logan, it's written all over your underwear. <laughs> Logan decline. I like that. What's What's his name? Logan decline. It's Logan decline. That must be Logan decline. It's written all over his underwear. Um, all right, Logan decline. I like it. I'm going with it. I, you, you, I also feel like that's like the character name of somebody who should be in like a, a, a neo noir <laughs> detective novel or something. I know, I know. Logan decline. He's got an office. Dark night. Right. He's got an office with his name stenciled on the door. And yeah, it was a dark I'm night. A, it was a dark night, but, but it was about to get darker
3: the city that knew how to keep its secrets Mm -hmm. on the 10th floor of the Acme building. Logan decline was working late. There you go. That's one of the best parts of the Prairie Home companion is the guy noir. (laughs) Yep. And when they did the movie, they had Kevin Klein play, play guy noir. And, uh, Oh, that's just funny. That's just fun stuff. Yeah. That's just fun stuff.
2: All right. Question number three, best movie that features a stalker or someone being stalked. Wayne's world. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me a gun rack, I, <laughs> which a gun? I rack. don't even have a gun, much less several guns, which wouldn't necessitate a gun rack. If you're not careful, Wayne, you're going to lose me. You're, I'm going to break up with you. I broke up with you six years ago. What was it? Get the—I don't know—I can't—I yeah. can't quote it. I'm—I'm I'm falling woefully short. There's people out there groaning with my quoting skills. No, right. But uh, yeah, I'll say—I'll say, I'll say Wayne's World. And then you say what you thought, and I'll think of something else.
2: What am I gonna do with a gun rack? <laughs> I don't even have a gun. Wait. Here. Here we go. Here we go. Give me—give me half a second here. Here we go.
3: Half a second filler. Yeah. That, that.
2: No, that's—that's that's not it. Hold on.
3: Yeah da da da.
2: This deserves to be actually used. Okay. Okay. What is it?
1: It's a gun rack.
0: A gun rack? A, a gun rack.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Right. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire
1: rack.
2: What am I We're gonna, gonna do, do with a, with a gun, gun rack? rack? <laughs>
1: Don't like it? Fine. You know, Wayne, if you're not careful, you're going to lose me. I lost you two months ago. Are you mental? We broke are up. You Get the net.
3: <laughs> Get the net.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, mine is, at, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, there's a lot of other great ones that are out there. Um, Taxi Driver is a great one. Um, mm-hmm. Cape Fear is a good one. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of good ones out there. Misery is a great one. <laughs> yeah, um, the one I picked because it was the one, and I mentioned this earlier. It kind of blew my mind when I first saw it. Um, I'm gonna go with One Hour Photo.
3: Okay, I have not seen that one. Okay,
2: that is one where Robin Williams is playing a kind of stalker. He's kind of like a serial killer stalker. Um, but he seems like a he seems like a real innocent guy, and he's real shy, and he works in a one-hour photo lab, mm-hmm. and that's how he picks his victims. Oh, is as, as he's developing people's photos, he gets kind of obsessed with them, um, and then the movie kind of goes from there. So, um, with without spoiling too much, it's it's a good movie. Like I really All like right. it, and I actually want to say I even, I think I bought a copy of it on DVD. So I'm not sure I still have it, but. Um, yeah, it came out in 2002 and, uh, who else was in it? Connie Nielsen's in it. Um, mm-hmm. Eric LaSalle is in it, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I remember, I remember enjoying it, but yeah, it, it kind of blew my mind. It was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> um, this is Robin Williams and he's creepy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah. Oh,
3: you just made me think. Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to check out that movie. Second of all, 89 Batman, when Joker starts going after Vicki Vale.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think there's my answer. Yeah.
2: Because 89 Batman. Yeah. I The other one, the other Robin Williams one that kind of, you know, blew my mind. Um, and actually, I want to say came out the same year was Insomnia.
3: Oh, I remember that. I don't remember it though.
2: Yeah, it was uh, Al Pacino plays a cop, and Robin Williams plays a serial killer, and it was directed by Christopher Nolan. Okay. Um, and that was I, that was two movies in the same year. I was like, wow, I have never seen Robin Williams play this kind of a <laughs> this kind of a role before. Yeah. 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 Wow! So that, that it blew my mind when I saw him when I saw him in that movie. So that's the one I'm going to choose there you go there you go all right man good choice all right well i think that's going to do it for this episode of the 30 something movie podcast um i did want to point out because i we did kind of comment on this um at the top of the show because of the because of the seriousness of the topic of this movie um if you or anyone that you know is dealing with a, an abusive relationship, um, I did want to just throw this in here very, very quickly. Um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, if you go to www.thehotline.org, um, it has a listing there a for a phone number you can call, a live chat that you can do, a text uh, that you can do. And it even has some features on the website where if you are worried that you're Web traffic is being monitored um, or if you need to close the window real quick because someone's looking over your shoulder, um, that it is a website that has a couple of different features like that. So if you know someone who may need that, uh, www.thehotline.org. So typically we don't get super serious on our podcast, but this is a serious topic. So I did want to throw that out there just so the information is there because more information is always good. Yeah. More information, more information, more better.
3: More better, and I, I'm just you know like I don't want to get on, on a soapbox, but yeah, obviously you, you saw. I mean, it goes without saying what was being depicted, and that was pretty awful. And I know that I, for, I forget what was the guy's name, the love interest, dude, Ben. Ben, I mean Ben was the good guy, mm-hmm. um, but there were some things then there with the writing of Ben that didn't quite gel, you yeah. know. So just you know. I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to sound like I'm 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 out of step with the current time when I say, "Hey, teach your sons the right way," you know, kind of thing. But like, uh, my gosh, yeah, you don't go up to someone after dark and be like, "Oh, you're stealing apples," and and being all threatening and all that kind of stuff. Right. One and two, no means no. The first time, not the 18th time when she shoves off and then starts apologizing and like. What did he do to you? And I mean, I remember being 14 and thinking, Oh man, he's like trying to be empathetic. He gets it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no means no back off. I am so sorry. Like I'm, can, do you need me to stay? Like I'm going to stay over. Okay. I'm out. Yeah. Peace. Yeah. Call me tomorrow. I'll call you, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, that, I, that I bumped on this time too is like, yeah, I mean, you know, let's keep the focus where the focus belongs. But on the flip side, like no means no the first time, not the 18th time. And she didn't, she wasn't the one that should have been apologizing in that scene. Correct. So anyways, I mean, like I said, it was just like, just seeing this movie with a whole other lens on and, and, uh, um, all that kind of thing. So yeah, I don't mean to get super serious and boy, I've, I've got, uh, I've got plenty of failings. I don't want to be speaking from the moral high horse, but uh, that that right there ain't one of them. So, yeah, let's yeah. Let's just uh, let's just be careful with what we're tolerating or turning a blind eye to or yeah, all that kind of thing. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries, friends. Oh, yes. <clears throat> there are there are things called boundaries. Know your mm-hmm. boundaries. All right. Mhm. All right, well, so that's going to do it for this episode of the 30-something movie podcast. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about our show, as we mentioned at the top of the uh, episode here, we are at 30podcast.com. It's got all the places where you can find out more information. Join us on Patreon, all that good stuff. Uh, We are at 30podcast on most of the different social medias. And then uh, don't forget to check out our sponsor and the Scene Stealers Podcast Network. There's a bunch of other shows that are part of that, too. So head over to scenestealersglobal.com. And check that out. Um, our next episodes coming up are The People Under the Stairs. That's going to wrap up <laughs> our month of October, our Halloween Horror Movie Month. So we got that coming next week. And then in November, our Patreon episode, if you're joining us on Patreon, uh, those usually come out about mid-month, um, usually on Saturdays. And our episode for November for Patreon is Favorite TV Shows of 1991. Uh, that oh. that might be shows that either started or ended or were maybe at their height During '91, Um, So we're going to have to nail down our our selection criteria for that. But um, that'll be our Patreon for November. And then November, uh, we've got Defending Your Life, What About Bob, The Doors, and The Fisher King. And then in December, we've got It's a Wonderful Life is our Patreon episode for December. Um, Then we're looking at Night on Earth, The Giver, My Own Private Idaho, Homicide, and City Slickers. So we're going to finish out... uh, Looking forward to finishing out the year with City Slickers. That's a fun one that I haven't actually seen in a while.
3: Oh, yes.
2: So, all kinds of good stuff. So, mm-hmm. as always, thank you, Pat. Thank you, John. This was fun. And thank you, everybody, for coming and listening each and every time, for reaching out to us, for interacting with us on Twitter and Facebook and all those different places. Uh, we just we look forward so much to chatting with you all and talking with you. And, uh, yeah, so we will... Uh, We want you all to be excellent to each other. Go watch some scary movies, and we'll see you back here next time.